Good morning. Welcome to our time of daily word and prayer. This is Saturday morning, February 27th. Thanks for joining me. I'm glad you're with me. You're a good group of people. I'm so excited how God is bringing us together, and I enjoy seeing in the chat here who's joining us. Some of you I don't even know yet personally, and I look forward to meeting you someday, but uh, I feel like we're developing a real friendship, a community, a fellowship, and so thanks for being with me today. Uh, as we continue in 1 Peter, we come across a really interesting verse today, and I'd just like to begin right there in Acts chapter, Acts, 1 Peter chapter 4, and we've been talking about suffering, and Peter says that if you're going to suffer, don't be surprised, it's going to come, but he also says that if you're going to suffer, don't let it be because you're a troublesome meddler or uh, a thief, a murderer, or something like this in verse 15. But verse 16, if anyone suffers as a Christian, he's not to be ashamed, but it's to glorify God in his name. And so if you're going to suffer, let it be for something good, right? I mean, don't suffer for being a bad person. Suffer for being a good person. Sometimes we think all suffering is just for bad people. Well, Job was a good person, and Job suffered more than anybody. Jesus was a good person, and Jesus suffered more than anybody. And so we see that sometimes suffering is not because you're bad. Sometimes suffering is because you're good. And if you suffer for being a Christian, don't be ashamed. If you bear reproach because of the name of Christ, if you bear reproach for standing up for what's right, if you bear reproach because you stood up for truth, if you bear reproach because you stood up against sin or evil, don't be ashamed of that. You, you share in the glory of Christ. You are sharing, when you share in his sufferings, you will be sharing in his glory is what we, we learn here. And when you share, when you bear his sufferings, you get to know him. We see in Philippians chapter 3, we, Paul wanted to know him better. And one way he knew him better was to share the sufferings of Christ. But I want to get on here to verse 17. For it is time for judgment to begin. He's referring to the suffering that we're experiencing as Christians as judgment. It's time for judgment to begin with the household of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the outcome for those who do not know, do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is with difficulty that the righteous are saved, what will become of the godless man and the sinner? Therefore, those also who suffer according to the will of God shall entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. And so that's us. So I want to talk a little bit today about judgment. So there's a lot of judgment, and this raises questions. Uh, you know, this idea that judgment in the house of God. There's a lot of verses in the scripture and a lot of different types of judgment in the scripture. There is eternal judgment. And in other words, there's hell. There's, there's a judgment upon unbelievers, people who die without Christ, eternal judgment. We read about this um, amongst other places in Revelation chapter 20, the lake of fire. There is um, the judgment seat of Christ. We read about in, in um, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 9 and 10, where as we see we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ, even us believers. We'll stand to be rewarded according to the deeds, or people will be rewarded and or uh, suffer. 1 Corinthians 3 talks about believers their soul will be saved. We'll, we'll go through this judgment seat. It'll be like fire. Our souls will be saved. But if we've 
spent our life in worthless pursuits and not doing the things that have eternal significance. If we've spent our life in that, then all those things will be burnt up and our soul will be saved, but we'll suffer loss at the judgment seat. There are earthly judgments. There's earthly judgments on individuals. Uh, we see this all the time. All, all sin will be judged. Okay, let's be clear about that. All sin will be judged. No sin will ever go unjudged. And some of it is in eternity. Some of it is here on earth. Um, our sin, in, those of us in Christ, our, our sin, our eternal sin has been paid for at the cross of Christ, washed clean by the blood of Christ. But there can still be earthly consequences to sin here for believers and unbelievers alike. We see it many times. You know, you, you, you do something sinful and there's consequences. Sec, you know, sexual immorality has its STDs with it and it's broken hearts and broken families. Um, you know, you, you tell a lie, you ruin your reputation. There's always, always a consequence to sin. There's, there are consequences upon families. We don't have time to get into this today, but sometimes it seems like there are certain sins run through certain, runs through the same family. They get repeated from generation to generation. Parents and grandparents pass down to their kids, and this is where it, it's a good thing to even think through: Are there sins that seem to be in my family, and if so, are there things that I need to bring to God, seek cleansing, seek the, these chains to be broken, and uh, ask that my generation? Would, would cease this, these generational sins passed down. There are sins upon nations and sins that come judgments upon nations. I believe our nation is experiencing God's judgments now. Uh, they can be any number of ways. Uh, scattered families is, is one way God judges nations. Economic calamity, weather catastrophes. We read in 2 Chronicles 7.14, you know, my people are called by my name, humble themselves, pray, seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, I will come give their sin and heal their land. Well, the verse right before that talks about the type of judgments God sends on a nation. If he closes up so it doesn't rain, if he sends a pestilence upon the land, these can be judgments from God. But today we want to talk about judgments upon the church. Some judgment, like eternal judgment, is designed to, it's a punishment. But much of God's judgments are designed to restore. The better word would be it's like a discipline of a child, a parent upon a child. A parent shouldn't be punishing a child just be, you know, I'm angry with you, I want to hurt you. A parent's judgment of a child or discipline of a child is designed to correct their behavior, to help them be a better person, to learn you don't go that way, you don't do those things. If you do, there's hardship and it's the discipline for the well-being of the child. Likewise, God disciplines the church not to punish us, not, not to get even with us. Our punishment was borne by Christ at the cross. He, he judges us. He brings judgment for the purpose of, of restoring us, purifying us, refining us, uh, making us more and more of what we ought to be. In the scripture, there are several times we see the church being judged. In Acts chapter 5, the people had been selling their property and bringing the proceeds for charity to help the people who had you know, come to Jerusalem for Pentecost, and they ended up, this great outpouring of the Spirit, 
something fantastic was happening there. People stayed there, and to help those who were there, people were selling their houses and lands, and they were they were giving to help those who were in need. Well, this one couple, Ananias and Sapphira, they sold their property too, and uh, they they didn't have to. But they came and they said, hey, we sold our property for X amount of uh, shekels and and we're bringing it all and we're giving it here. Well, they weren't giving it all. They were holding some of it back. And so they were lying to the Holy Spirit. They were lying to the apostles. They were doing it for their own reputation. And as a result, God judged them for their lying and they died right in front of people. They died right on the spot. And so this is a example of judgment in the house of God, lying, dishonesty, fraud, being a, presenting yourself in such a way to build up your own reputation, uh, presenting yourself as someone who wasn't it's interesting. They didn't have to sell their property and they didn't have to give all the money. The problem was when they said that this is what we're doing and they were lying about it. In 1 Corinthians 5, we see judgments. These were judgments. There was actually a man in the church who was sleeping with, cohabitating with, sexual relations with his dad's wife. Must have been his stepmother or someone. And everybody knew about it. And they were arrogant. They were saying, well, we don't judge in our church. You know, we're accepting, we're loving, we're inclusive. We're not judging anyone. So they didn't say anything about it. And everybody knew, here's this guy. They'd come to church. Wow, I mean that's that's like this such incestual sexual perversion. And Paul judged him and said that the church, don't you know a little leaven leavens a whole lump? Allowing sin like that in your church to go unjudged and un, 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 and unaddressed causes everybody to lower their standard. The church is to be holy. The now it doesn't mean I mean again, you know, the church is a place for sinners to come and be saved. But it's not a place for unrepentant sin. Sinners come to church and we, we become saints, sure. But, but to have um, obvious, evident, public, unrepentant sin leavens the whole lump. And so for the sake of the church and the purity of the church and, to, and for the sake of these sinners, these people, Paul said they're to be put out of the church. They're not to be allowed to come. You don't even eat with such people. Don't include them at all because it's a public repudiation of their sin. It's a spanking, shall we say, in the hopes that when they're treated this way, it will lead them to repentance rather than continuing on in that way. In 3 John, verses 9 and 10, we see a guy named Diotrephes. He was a leader. And Diotrephes loved to be first amongst the people. And he, in the church, he was arrogant. He was proud. He, and, and, and John said that when he came, he would call attention to Diotrephes. He would publicly rebuke him for his arrogance and his pride. These are three examples of discipline in the house of God, uh, ch judgment in the house of God. First Timothy chapter 5 talks about a similar thing. Elders who continue in sin are to be rebuked publicly in front of all. It's a form of discipline, a form of judgment in the house of God. Peter says that this is where, this is where judgment begins, with the purifying of the church. Suffering in this context 
of 1 Peter helps purify us, helps the church become more and more holy. And keep in mind, this is what God is after. He, he has a holy people. We are a holy nation. We are a people for God's own possession. And number one, top priority in the heart of God is, is us, the church, the people of God, our holiness. Number one, that's it. More important than whether our nation stands, as much as important as that is, because the church is on the heart of God. We are the bride of Christ. More important than how well we do, more important than whether we've got all the things we need, more important than anything, God wants his church to be holy and pure. We are the light of the world. We are to be an example. We're not to be hiding away. We're to be very public. We're to be very out there and, and obvious, but we are to be holy. When the church isn't, it brings great reproach upon God. And, and, uh, and we see this, don't we? That when the church is not holy, the Gentiles, the lost, the media, they mock us, they ridicule us, they, they, you know, they, they call us hypocrites and so forth, and sometimes it is deserved. Um, you know, I, I've mentioned this before. I tell my interns, I say three things that, that could just devastate my ministry, just it could end it and, and cause it to be over. Uh, one, sexual scandal. Two, uh, financial scandal. Three, uh, you know, we drive a vehicle on campus. We, hit, we set things up, and I tell them, you, you, drive, you never go like over five miles an hour because you hit a student, you hurt a student. Uh, I could just end us. It would be off the campus. It could, you, know, that, you know, we don't do that. We, you, you hurt somebody, you, that would devast, you know, devastate our ministry. And I point this out. And we see so many ministries that, you know, the primary sins of our culture, are they not sexual immorality and greed? And you see that when this infiltrates into churches, when this infiltrates into ministries, and, and you know, who can name all the pastors, all the Christian leaders who have been humiliated as they've been exposed by, for sexual immorality or for, or for you know, having their hand in the till and stealing from the church? Um, what do we do when we see this happen? I mean, it's embarrassing. It's shameful when, when our Christian leaders fall in sexual immorality or we find they've been leading a double life or they've been cheating on their wife or they've been going to massage parlors or they've been stealing money or things like this. It's shameful. But what should we do? Well, two things, I believe. Number one, we should grieve. We should grieve that, that this is in the house of God. But secondly, we should be thankful that God is exposing it. Because, and I will say this, if you're a Christian leader, God, you're not going to get away with it. You're not, you know, you're going to get found. All, all sin gets found out sooner or later. Sooner or later it comes out. And, and it is, and if you're doing that, and if you're not walking in, uprightness before God. And if you have your secret sins of the flesh that you're compromising with and you're allowing into your life, um, it's be careful, be warned. You better deal with that. You better not justify it. You better not compromise. You better not allow it. You better address that in your life because sooner or later, these things come out. If you're leading a double life, you're ripping off the church, you're cheating on your wife, something like this, you're not going to get away with it. 
A lot of people we've thought have thought would, and they end up being embarrassed, shamed, exposed, because a little leaven leavens the whole lump. If you don't deal with it, God will. Let's be real straightforward. If you don't deal with it, God will. And so repent. Get help. There's compassion for those who acknowledge their sin. There's not much compassion for those who get caught in their sin, right? Get help. Talk to your talk to some other leaders. Talk to the leadership of your church. Talk to uh, your board members, fi- find some other pastor and say, I need help and get help and don't justify it and don't continue in it because your reputation and the reputation of your church and the reputation of our God is on the line. And believe me, God does purify his church. He purifies us for our own good. He doesn't want a little leaven to leaven the whole lump. He will purify us. We see a lot of it happening. When it happens, we grieve. It's shameful, but we're thankful that God is purifying his church. And so today we want to pray for pure churches. And we want to pray as judgment begins with the household of God and the suffering that comes our way to purify and refine us, that it would have its, 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 um, its good effect. Father in heaven, today we pray and we bless your holy name. And we thank you that you are a holy God. Indeed, you said you shall be holy for I am holy. And I think, Lord, of how the church, you want the church to be holy. You, you warned us that a little leaven leavens the whole lump. You warned us that, that if we don't deal with sin in our own lives, in our own midst, it weakens the church. It leavens the church. It undermines our testimony. It, it, it grieves the heart of God. Lord, we thank you today for the cross of Jesus Christ where our sins were punished. But Lord, that doesn't mean that we can sin willy-nilly. That doesn't mean we can do what we want. It doesn't mean that, that, that you just wink your eye at sin. Thank you that in one sense, our eternal judgment, our eternal punishment has been borne by Christ. And yet, Lord, we realize that here on earth, there could be consequences to sin in our own lives, in our family, in our nation, and today we see even in our churches. We pray, Father, for a spirit of repentance. We pray in our Christian leaders, Lord, if there's any that are leading these double sinful lives, like like get exposed, it seems like, quite regularly in the news now. Lord, if there's any that are living like that, I pray that they would repent, they get help, they would take the initiative and not, it, it wouldn't come out because they get caught, it would, it would come out because they, they seek help and they seek this road of humility and repentance where there's compassion and understanding. We pray, Lord, for our leaders to be above reproach. We pray for our churches to be above reproach. We pray, Father, that when it comes to financial handling, when it comes to sexual purity, relationship with with, uh, other women, with uh, all of these things, Lord, their public testimony, their private lives, our leaders, our pastors, our ministry leaders, our churches would be above reproach. Father, we see sin just destroying our country. We see it destroying our country. Might the church be protected. Might it not not seep into the church. Lord, Lord, might we rather bear suffering in the name of Christ than go along with the crowd and and become contaminated, defiled, and bring that defilement 
into the household of God. Father, we thank you in the church. You accept us as we are. You love us as we are. But you love us too much to let us stay that way. And so I pray that the the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit would be active in our churches. I pray our churches, Lord, if we're lukewarm, that we would get on fire for you. Lord, if we're tolerating sin, that, that we would, Lord, that would be exposed and cleansed. Lord, I pray that if our churches are just dead towards you, we know that the You said, abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul. How they must wage war against the church as well. So, Lord, in praying these prayers, we're not saying that people who struggle are not welcome. But I pray that they'd be people who are actually struggling and not people who just surrender every single time. Help us to fight the fight. Help us to fight against fleshly lusts. Help us to fight against sin. Help us, Lord, to fight against the, the deeds of the flesh. Help us to fight against that temptation. Help us to resist the devil that he might flee from us. You said our churches are, we are a a holy nation, a people for your own possession. Might we be different? Father, forgive us for trying to be like the world. Forgive us for trying to just say we're a cleaned up version of everything the world wants. Forgive us for thinking that, that the church can really appeal to the lust of men when they're not the, the, the more refined lust instead of the, the ugly, defiling lust. Lord, you've called, us not, you've called us to live for the will of God, not for the lust of men, but for the will of God. Help us, Father, to be dedicated. Help our churches, our church leaders, help us to be dedicated to the will of God and not just a, a sanitized version of all that the world offers the flesh. We pray, Father, We pray, Father, that when sin is exposed in our camp, amongst our leaders, amongst some of our celebrities, oh, Lord, it's shameful. We grieve over it. It breaks our heart. It confuses us. People that we looked up to, Lord, it confuses us. Why and what's going on? Father, but we want to give you thanks We say you're on the throne at all times, and you are, and we give you thanks that you are exposing and purifying your church. Sometimes discipline hurts. It hurts when we receive it, but we thank you that it's only designed to make your church more holy, more pure, and more powerful. And so we humbly accept your discipline. We humbly accept your purifying, exposing We ask, Lord, you to restore churches that have been disciplined. We don't believe, Lord, you're just wanting to destroy them. We believe you're wanting to restore them. And so, Father, where there has been sin and where there's been repentance and when there's been painful discipline, we pray there would be restoration and those churches and ministries might come back stronger than ever. We pray for this. We thank you that you are a God who can take ugly, ugly things and make them beautiful. You can take, even out of destruction, even out of destruction, you can make something gorgeous, beautiful, magnificent. We bless you. We give you this day to walk with you, Lord. Use us today for your glory. Help us to walk uprightly. Help us to walk in faith. Help us to believe, Lord, that this very day you're guiding our steps. 
You're watching over us. You're protecting us. You're leading us in the right path. Fill us with the joy of the Lord today. Fill us with your power. I pray we resist temptation. I pray, Lord, if we run across people who irritate us, we'd rise above and we'd love and bless those who even want to curse or, or, or hurt us. Help us to rise above. Lord, they're needy people. We don't want to just put them down. We want to lift them up and show them Christ. How we pray today, you'd use us in advancing the gospel. How we pray today, your gospel would advance in our country. How we pray today, Lord, lost people would be saved. Raise up ambassadors for Christ, great evangelists, and use us, Lord, wherever we go as your witnesses, we pray. In Jesus' name, we bless you and thank you now. Amen. Say, as I was praying, something came to my mind. We talked about how God takes destruction, something destructive, and can make it beautiful. You know, one of the most amazing sights on planet Earth is the Grand Canyon. And uh, I've seen it several times and, and gone there. And whenever I see, we always marvel at the creation of God when you see the Grand Canyon. Well, what an amazing God that would create this. But you do realize it wasn't part of the original creation. The Grand Canyon came about as a result of the flood. And it was formed after the flood of Noah's time. And so what does that tell us? Actually, the beauty, the magnificence of the Grand Canyon came about as a result of God's judgment. Not of God's original creation, but of God's judgment upon the earth. And let me tell you, God judges sin, but he's able to bring something magnificent and beautiful out of that judgment. And we see that the Grand Canyon stands as a testimony of that. Maybe if your life, if you've experienced judgments, or you know people who have, don't give up. Don't give up on someone else. Something beautiful can come out of it. Of course, the greatest judgment of all was not Noah's flood. That might be number two. Number one was the cross. Ugly thing. Judgment. The, the, the death of Christ. See, hung on that cross. Uh, ugly, ugly. Covered with blood and, and uh, maligned. But out of that came the resurrection, the salvation, the church, the bride of Christ. Something beautiful came out of the judgment. This is the way our God is. Something beautiful comes out of the judgment. Amen. Thanks for joining me today. If you're new, hit that subscribe button, notify button, and so you can always know when we're coming on. And then like these videos, pass them on to your friends, share them on social media, tell your friends at church or family. Uh, let's help build this audience. I think we're saying good things here. I think we're talking about things that need to be talked about, and we're praying about things that need to be prayed about. So help build our audience. And until then, we'll see you tomorrow morning, Sunday. We'll be back tomorrow morning at 8.30 a.m. Eastern Time. I look forward to seeing you then, okay? God bless you. Make it a great day, and we will see you tomorrow.